Give the Lord a hand, get your Bibles out, hold it up, and let's make our confession. For all of you visitors, we are glad you're here today. How many were there? Can I see your hands again? Just wave them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Let's give them another warm welcome if you can. We're glad that you're with us. This is how churches grow. So let's make our confession. The Word of God is truth. been a while. <laughs> Tell your neighbor that's the truth before you're seated. Tell them that's, that is the truth. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Philippians chapter 4. You know, this is Father's Day, and for some reason, this always makes me think of Carter. Not Jack so much, but Carter and Joey. And uh, the little boy, about five, six years old, sitting there in the room just playing, doing his thing, and the father walks up and says, son, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he looks up at his dad and he says, you know, dad, I don't know for sure. What do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> I always think of Joy and Carter when, when, I, when I hear that. One of the other stories that I hope you like to laugh because laughing is the, is, is the root of all success in your life. If you like to laugh and if you like humor, you'll be successful. And if you don't like to laugh, then you won't be and you won't even be fun to be around. So turn to your neighbor and say, laugh a little bit. You're more fun to be around. Now, the first story I just told you about the little boy and the father, I don't know if that's true or not, or somebody made this one up, but this is a true story, and some of you have heard it before, but when we were on staff at Victory, this little boy was getting in trouble at home. He's about five or six years old, and his daddy finally decided that I'm going to have to reprimand this boy, and they believe in using the rod of correction out there, and so this little boy was going to get a couple swats, and the father lovingly said to the little boy, we're, I'm going to have to swat you now, and I just love you, and, and we're going to have to teach you a lesson here in this whole situation, and the little boy was being raised at Victory Christian School, and he turned to his father and said, no weapon formed against me will prosper. <laughs> now, that is a true story. And Pastor Billy Joe, when he shared that, that uh, message with all of us, it cracked us all up. And, and he said, I don't know if that boy ever got those swats or not, but I doubt it. I would imagine the Father just let the Word prevail. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to let the Word of God prevail. And the Word of the Lord today for each and every one of us, and I, I shared this Word, very similar, this Word, in Grove, Oklahoma. And so I didn't want to just come back here and share the same message. And as I was uh, kind of struggling a little bit with the Lord for the message this Sunday, I, I kept feeling that this was the message that I was supposed to give. And finally I felt I heard the Lord say, why don't you just do what I want you to do and stop trying to find a message that you want to preach. And so we're going to talk about you can make a difference. Let's just say, I can make a difference. Tell that person next to you, you can make a difference. We can make a difference in this world. And we're going to look at the book of Philippians chapter 4 because there are so many things that God has us to do. And for this season, God has yoked our hearts with Sudan for Christ and the ministry that's going on over there and the orphanage that is built, the Dreamland Children's Home. And thank God we have 71 orphans, as most of you know, and of all of you visitors, we'll reveal some of it to you today. But now Pastor Stanley is interviewing and has accepted another 25 children. Can we give the Lord a hand and say hallelujah? And in addition to that, there'll be another four. So we're going to be 29 going up to 100. And now we're talking about building the next dorm for 100 children that will take us up to 200. God has placed 
that mandate sovereignly in our heart. And in the book of Philippians chapter 4, it's talking about how uh, Paul said that, that he's learned how to abound, he's learned how to be abased, he's learned how to have blessings, he's learned how to have challenges. But in verse number 13, this is the verse that the Lord has really given me for today and for everything that you are to do in your life, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's just say it. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. What that means is that whatever God has shown you and whatever God has shown me to do and shown us corporately to do, we are well able. God is going ahead. God has prepared the way. And what happens to a lot of us sometimes is we start looking at all of the challenges and all of the lack that we have in our life. How many of you are believing for some areas and in some areas of your life and you know that the will of God is going to bring you through, but you have not yet seen the manifestation? Can I see your hands? Let's all say it. Been there, done that. That's true for all of us. But if our focus is so much upon doing the will of God, I told Pam this years ago, if everybody got up in the morning and their whole focus was on doing the will of God and on taking Jesus to people, all of the challenges, all the situations in your life, they would be gone. You wouldn't be thinking about them. You'll never get depressed because you're about the father's business. Being about the father's business reminds me of a story of our grandchildren. I guess I am going to tell a story. But we went in this convenience store late at night down there, and, and we're, we're at a place called Longboat Key. And they told me about these Coke slushies. And uh, I love a slushie, but I'd never had, like, this kind of a Coke slushie. So we started going every night at 11 o'clock and, and getting 16 ounces of a Coke slushie into three, two grandchildren and then another child that was along, which mainly was me, and then going back and having a ball on the beach with a sugar high. And it was really awesome. But this one night, this lady said she had a back pain. And, uh, and so I, I just reached over the counter and said, can I pray for you? And took her hand and was praying for her. And I hear my grandkids acting up, really acting up. They normally don't do that, only 90% of the time. But they're <laughs> acting up back in the back there. And then we finally got out and got in the car, and they're just laughing and just cracking up. And I said, what is going on with you guys? I was praying for that lady. She said, yeah, I knew. I saw you reach over the counter and grab her hand and start praying for her. And we thought that was hilarious. And we've never seen anybody pray for anybody in the gas station before. I said, it wasn't a gas station, silly. It was a convenience store. They started cracking up, and they still laugh about praying for that lady. I said, listen, when you're praying for a lady to be healed, you can't just start laughing. They said, well, we can. <laughs> so, I said, whatever, whatever. But you know, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if every day you're thinking about somebody else, if every day you're thinking about somebody else, you will never be depressed. You will always be focused upon the will of God. But too many people get up thinking about themselves. You should be the least most popular person to think about in your life. Everything we do should be outreach, outreach, outreach. And they asked me, they said, why did you pray for that lady? And I said, because she was sick. She had a problem in her back and she needed healing. And she needed somebody to pray for her. And God gave us a divine appointment. I believe every moment in life is a teaching moment. And I want to share with you uh, this, this. Most of you have heard this story. But when I was first called to the Sudan and this church was called to the Sudan, I, I, and that was in 2005. And when I was over there, I was absolutely overwhelmed by the needs of the people in the Sudan. The needs of the people in the world are great. How many of you realize the chances are probably good that we will not reach all of the needs of the world? 
I, wouldn't you say that for this church and for you individually, it's probably a given that we're not going to be able to reach all of the needs of the people of the world. But it reminded me of the story that I, I, you've heard this shared many times before. But it's the story of the little boy and the starfish that had washed ashore. And I've shared this story before in this church too. And the little boy's walking down the seashore and he's picking up the starfish and he's throwing them back in. And, 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 and an older man comes along and he says, what are you doing? And he says, I just happen to have a starfish here, by the way. It belonged to our grandchildren. But, uh, but what are you doing with those starfish? And he said, I, I'm throwing them back in. I'm saving them. And the man said, you can't save all of those starfish. And the little boy looked at him and said, I know I can't save them all, but I can save this one that I'm holding. We can save the next person that we come in contact with by telling them about the love of Jesus, by telling them what God wants to do in our life. And in my life, there are so many things that God has shown me to do, and in your life too. How many of you would say you have a lot of unfinished business in your life, things that God has shown you? And it's so beyond anything that you know to do. And I remember when God spoke to me to go to the Sudan. And see, God will supply all of our needs. Everybody say, God will supply all my needs. A lot of people get depressed and discouraged, and I've been there. When you know what God is showing you, but it seems so far beyond you. But it's never beyond God. Everybody says, never beyond God. And when we got the letter about the Sudan and about the orphanage they wanted to build at that time and nothing had happened. And, and when we got that letter, I just felt quickened in my heart that we needed to help them. And I went to Pam and talked to John. And this was back in 2005, 2004 is when the letter came late 2004 and uh and i just felt quick into my spirit let's have a golf tournament now i do not even know how to have a golf tournament but i heard it in my spirit everybody take your hand and just tap this place right in here that's where the spirit of god lives if you're a born-again christian the spirit of god speaks to you all of the time if you're here today and you're a born-again christian and you say god's not speaking to me that's not true everybody said that's not true God always tells you what he wants you to hear. Go back to what he last told you because he's telling you and he's speaking to you continually by the Spirit. And in that situation, I remember going to John and, and saying, we need to have a golf tournament. And, and then we talked about it. And I'm not sure I'm quoting this right, John, but did you tell me you were thinking about two or $3,000 or two or $3,000 to raise for the Sudan? And the number I had in my spirit was $12,000. And so we talked about it. I said, John, we need to raise $12,000. And he said, how are we going to do that? And I said, I don't know. That's your job. You're in charge of the golf tournament. Now, it ended up being John and Elizabeth. But I tell you this story because how many of our needs will God supply? All. How many? All. Tell your neighbor, God will supply all of your needs. Now, he's not going to supply the needs for you to buy Cadillacs, condominiums, cars, and all that kind of stuff. He's going to supply all of your needs to do what he's called you to do. And when you'll start to set your focus upon that strength and that, and that flight and that focus and path that he has for you, then all of your needs are going to be met. And the night before the golf tournament... We had, through John, Elizabeth, and many others of you, we had raised $11,000. Oh, glory to God. It was so exciting. We were excited. I was ready to just quit right then. That was, we had the eleven grand. That was close enough to 12000 to me. How many of you would be satisfied with $11,000 when you didn't have anything, even though you were believing for 12000 I was ready. And that night, 
I went to Walmart to get something, saw a lady that I knew, her grandson was with her, said, what have you been up to, told her about the golf tournament. She said, oh, could my grandson play? He loves to play golf. He's a golfer. Have him show up, no problem. He shows up that morning. I'm sitting in the golf cart. He goes over to John Elizabeth to register, and then he walks over to me, and he says, oh, Grandma said to give you this, handed me an envelope with a $1,000 check. Can we give the Lord a hand? God said... I want you to raise $12,000. Where we miss it sometimes is we think we have to figure out how to do it. No, God is going to tell us how to do it by the Spirit. We received a call from Pastor Stanley, Sudan for Christ, a gentleman that works for us, for all of, works with, that we work with uh, over there in the Sudan that's doing all this work, really. We're helping him financially, and uh, he's just doing a marvelous job over there. And uh, he's... he's we were taught, I said, do you have any other needs before we hung up? And uh, we just got a $2,000 check-in to build some of our restrooms for him. Glory to God. I just feel like giving God praise today. Can we praise God again? Just from an unexpected source, uh, $2,000 came in on the Internet. The other day, we got a $12,000 check-in. We are getting these DVDs out. And by the way, they're available for you when you leave today telling the whole story about the Sudan. They might wonder, well, what about us? What about us? What about... I, I used to think that myself. What about us? When are we going to get our land? When are we going to get our building? And I felt like the Lord said, focus on what I'm telling you, and I'll take care of the rest. I believe the Lord said, if you take care of my business, I'll take care of your business. I believe that God is working on our behalf for every need that we have as we are reaching out to a group of people that need our help and need it desperately. And as we continue to do this, I want to encourage all of you, God is taking care of your needs as you enter in to focusing on what he's called you to do. And in my life, there are three things or three areas where what God speaks to me kind of settle in. And, and, and it's hearing in our spirit. Everybody say hearing in my spirit. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you hear by the spirit. You may not let it get out of your spirit and into your mind because your mind gets scrambled. I am tired ministering to the minds of people. Your mind is your responsibility. Turn to your neighbor and say, your mind is your responsibility. It is impossible for a believer to have strongholds if they live the word of God. Absolutely impossible. Because the word of God says we cast down all strongholds and everything that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of Christ. And by the way, when I start going on these tangents, Pam will be back next week, so you'll be okay. Okay, so turn to your neighbor and say, get your mind in shape. You meditate the word of God day and night, you're okay. You don't meditate the word of God day and night, you've got a problem. And when you start to center on the will of God and the plan of God, then you're going to see all of the blessings of God come upon you and overtake you because you have hearkened unto the voice of the Lord your God. And when we first started in the Sudan, it was one of those issues, again, that in my life, everything that I hear by the Spirit fits into three categories. You've heard this before if you've been part of this church. Number one, I know that this is God. I know this is God. And I put an exclamation on that. Number two, I think this is God. And number three, I sure hope this is God, because if it isn't, I'm in a heap of trouble. How many of you have operated in all three of those? I operate in those all the time. I only want to operate in number one, but sometimes I'm not sure. 
And there was a point of time in the Sudan when I wasn't sure, is this really God? How are we going to come up with $12,000 here, $12,000 there, $20,000 here? We need another $15,000 for a dorm. We need another $4,000 for a brick machine. Pam made reference the other day that some girl was in a meeting in Grove, Oklahoma, took that brick-making machine information and says, I got a family that may be able to help. But the Word of God says we speak things that are not as if they were. I believe my God will meet all of my needs according to his riches and glory. How many of you believe that? Can we say amen and hallelujah? Give the Lord a hand because he's no respecter of persons. What he's done for one, he will do for you and for me. Now, our focus has to be upon God, not upon our need, not upon our situations, not upon our challenges. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel are the good news. We have good news to tell. Let's all say, I have good news to tell. We are up and not down. We are excited. We are, we are being blessed continually by God. And what happens is when we do what God has said, and this is what Pastor Stanley said to me when I was over there after about the second trip. He said, first of all, I felt like the word of the Lord in my spirit was, I want you to help Pastor Stanley. Well, that meant the church. That meant all of us. That was our assignment corporately. So we began to reach out. And Pastor Stanley, after about the second or third time, he sat down with me one day and he said, You know, Bill, I just want you to know I was about to give up. But I believe God sent you to save me with the vision. Now, it's not me. It's each and every one of you. So turn to your neighbor and say, It's all of us. I believe God is watching us to do what he's called us to do so that he can pour out all the blessings upon us. And his hand is about to move on our behalf. And this city's going to know it. You're going to know it. We're going to know it. And it is going to be a powerful witness to the testimony. We're not focused upon our land and our building. We're focused upon what God told us to do. And we're helping to rescue children that God loves over there. And in just a few moments, we're going to show you some of the new kids that, that are there. But two areas that you've got to really solidify in your life if you're going to make a difference and if you're going to live a life of difference is, number one, you're going to have to live the Word of God. I said that just a moment ago. You have to live the Word of God. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man should live by, not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You have to be full of the Word of God. When you get squeezed, when you get hit, the Word of God pops out. We confess things that are not as if they were. We're the head, not the tail. We're above, not beneath. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. I'm a tither, and God is opening the window of heaven and pouring out blessings upon me that I will not have room enough to contain. Can you all say amen to that? Now, there are a lot of lazy Christians, so turn to your neighbor and tell them, listen up. Turn back again and say, Pastor Pam, will be back next week. But if you're not living the Word of God, it's going to all go by you. It's not going to help you at all. It's not going to work on your behalf because you're not focused upon Jesus. You're focused upon all of your challenges. Second thing, you've got to be led by the Holy Spirit. You have to recognize that inner, still, small, inner voice. I don't know about you, but it would be nice sometimes in my life if God just yelled at me and got my attention. How many of you would like something like that? Uh, the only problem is we may be yelled at all the time because we're not listening like we should. The inner sweet, still, small voice of the Lord is very still. Very. How many of you have, can relate to what I'm saying? It's very quiet. Is that, is that you, God? Is that really you? It is God. And that's the way he speaks to us. And we've got to develop a relationship. That, oh, that's that voice. I know that voice. I know that is the voice of the Lord. Pastor Stanley and I talked this week and 
And, uh, he, and I said, are there any other needs that you have, Stanley? And he said, well, everything is going really good. Your church, just tell them thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. They have been such a blessing to us. And, and I said, nothing else that we need to talk about right now? I said, eh, not really, not, not that would pertain to you. And I said, wait a minute. What are you talking about? Because I hear something in my spirit that you're saying. And he said, well, at the base which is not with the orphanage, but at the base, uh, we have been digging by hand a well. And he said, it's taken us a long time to dig that well, but he said, we, we, we've dug it now and we need to encase it and we need to get some tools and, and, and some, some things to really fulfill, the, complete the well. And it's going to be about $1,000, but he said, I didn't want to bring it up. You guys are doing so much we have about $5,000 in an account set aside that's just general money that's coming in for things like this. I said, oh, Stanley, we've got $1,000. You want $1,000? We'll give you $1,000. And he said, well, if I had $1,000, I'll be able to complete the well, and then we don't have to go to the creek. Now, that's where we stay at the base. We get the creek water boiled that is all right, but the well is going to be a whole lot better when we get over there in October, John. We have the ability to take care of it, and we are Monday morning. Can we give the Lord a hand? What do we have? Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse eight. We have abundance for every good work. Let's say we have abundance. I don't know how God is going to do it. I would have never figured out for Joshua when he attacked Jericho that the walls would fall down. I would think those fighting men that had been trained to fight would fight. But instead they didn't fight, they just did what God said. Turn to your neighbor and say, if you do what God said, the walls will come down. You've got to do what God said. And when we get into that vein, God will take care of the rest. Now, Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 4 is very important because it's all about vision. God is a visionary, and he's casting vision continually. And what happens, it happens to me, it happens to you, it's happened to all of us. So we're all in the same boat. We get the vision from God, and it short circuits our brain. How many of you have been there? The first thing we start to do, what do we have? We had a problem with the air conditioner in Blaze. Something got short-circuited. Now the compressor doesn't work, but it's going to get fixed Monday. It got short-circuited. I thought about that earlier, that, that sometimes we get it right here, what God tells us to do, and then we start to think, well, I, I don't have that much money. I don't have that much training. I don't have that much education. I don't have much time. I don't, how many am I speaking to you right now? Thank you. It happens to all of us. But when we release our faith in what God said, Habakkuk 2, 2 says, write the vision and make it plain. I remember when the vision came to me in about 2000, I think it was 2003 or 2004. It was in the middle of the night, about three o'clock in the morning. It was, it was crystal clear. I was not rubbing my eyes. I was not uh, uh, spiritually, I mean, uh, physically awake, but I was standing in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of black faces. Now, you all have heard this story before. I've shared it from time to time. And I just didn't understand. I thought, wow, our church must really be going to grow. But there wasn't a single white face. And I thought, well, I wonder where all the white people are going. <laughs> because it was just a sea of, 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 of black faces that I saw. And then God opened the door to go to Ethiopia and the first meeting we had over there with Terry Hinshaw, they, they, one person said there's 20,000. Terry said there's 25,000. Or somebody else said there's 25,000. Terry Hinshaw said, not sure how many there are, but there's a bunch. And, and, but, there's, but, but it was just as far as you could see, there were black faces. And as I stood there and, and began to minister, it was like these were not the people I saw. And I didn't understand it because it looked like, at a glance, that's what it was. But then in 2005, when God opened the door to go to the Sudan, 
And that first meeting we had in Juba, and there were about 16,000 people that showed up there. And when I stood up there to speak and looked out, it was the people that I saw in that vision years earlier. I say that to you, not just because of our calling corporately to the Sudan, because the window in the Sudan is open. January 2011, they will have an election. It's going to be for their independence, and we're praying that the people of the South will vote and that it will become an independent nation, the southern Sudan, free from the Islamic demonic stronghold of the North and the indicted President Bashir of that company, country that has committed atrocities and has been indicted by the Hague and needs to be saved. Hallelujah. It's not exactly where I was going with that. But... <laughs> but <laughs> But, but, but I say that to all of you because God will give you the vision, but then don't try to figure it out. You, you go ahead and put it down. You write the vision because you have to be able to run with it. But even though it seems to tarry, you wait. And when it was in the Sudan, it was the people I saw in that vision. God is a visionary, and God has given you vision already. Tell your neighbor, you already have vision. It's in your spirit. It may have never gotten up to your head, but it's in your spirit. And in Habakkuk 2.2, what happens with vision is, is, is passion comes. Passion is when you just can't stop thinking about it. You are passionate about it. I know toward the end of my reign when God said, Pam needs to become the senior pastor and take over. I know the day-to-day -day operation of this church, my passion was gone. It was a big balloon that had just deflated. And if you've been around me that much during that era of time, you know the passion wasn't there. But the passion for people has always been there. And the passion for the Sudan is there. But that's a passion that God gave us corporately. So everybody said, we have the passion for the Sudan and for this season that we're in. And we're going to make a difference in that nation. That next person, my, my, my child, Bill Abbey, he may be the next Billy Graham of the Sudan. Glory to God. Somebody told me a story, and I don't know if this story is true or not, but I just love it even if it isn't true. It, it's, it's a great story. But the story was that Billy Graham went to a tent crusade and that the seats were all full and that one person sitting toward the back row got up and said, you know, he was just a young man at that time, said, young man, you can have my seat. That older person got up, gave Billy Graham his seat. Billy Graham walked in that tent crusade, sat there, listened to the message, went forward at the end of the message and gave his heart to the Lord. Oh, what a reward that person who gave his seat to Billy Graham. Can you imagine that? I'm believing that story is true. I don't know if it is or not, but you never know who the next person you touch is the next Billy Graham or the next person that can change their part of the world. We can all influence our part of the world. I believe that lady in that convenience store that the boys, my grandkids, thought was a gas station. I believe, I believe she's going to be healed in Jesus' name and be able to give her testimony. And everywhere we go, what if every day we got up was the day we focused upon the Lord and said, I'm not concerned about my lack or anything about my finances. I have abundance. I speak the word of God. I have abundance in my finances, so I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to look at the health situation in my body because I have divine healing. I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. And we started living our life totally focused upon the Lord. Let's all say it. We have passion, but the passion comes from the vision. Otherwise, it'll be just every day is a new day, a new day, a new day. And that passion gets stirred up. And I, I just, when I think about the Sudan, sometimes I just get overwhelmed with love. And I just begin to cry. When we sang that song today, what's that song about uh, going into all the nations? It's got an African beat to it. It's, it, it's, 
You almost got it, Stephen. There's a, the African beat is unbelievable. I just, I try to do it myself. I don't have it. I don't have it in my genes, but I love it. It is just a great spiritual beat over there. And, uh, but that is an awesome, awesome beat that they have. But I just started weeping there because it's like, it's like we are making a difference. Let's all say, I'm making a difference. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 25 because I want to show a, a short little video. A lot of you are relatively new to our church, and uh, I want you to see what's being done there in the Sudan and also to show you these new precious little children that we have over there right now that are needing sponsors and believe that God's going to take care of every single <clears throat> need that we have. But in Matthew chapter 25, it's Jesus talking about what is going to happen for all the rewards when all of this is over and done. And we know that in Matthew chapter 9, it's talking about going into all the world and having compassion on people and that the harvest is ripe and that now we've got to just focus in. And in verse number 31 of Matthew, it says, when the Son of Man... Uh, uh, Matthew twenty five thirty one. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as the shepherd divides his sheep from his goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand and the goats on His left. But the King will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. This is what's happening right now at the dreamland. I was naked, and you clothed me. Some of those children have come in there naked, physically naked. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. When we reach out and touch the children, we've done it to the least of them. This is the letter that came to Brad and Sandy from their sponsored child. Dear Brad and Sandy Marshall, I am Jennifer Knight. I am nine years old. I love Jesus. His name is so sweet to me. I am learning in grade three this year. Thank God for what he has done through you and made me to be part of your family. He cares for me. My prayer is that one day God will bring you here to the Sudan. God bless you and God keep you, Jennifer. This is one little starfish that's being saved. Jennifer may reach her nation someday. I want to show you the 25 new children that are ready to come. Go ahead, Sarah. They don't have smiles on their face. They've been through untold tragedies. They've seen their parents murdered. They've lived in villages on the streets. They've had to scrounge for food just to get through days. Some of these children have gone days without food. Some have come from Uganda. Some, their parents have been kidnapped by the... L-R-A, and they're, they're very scared when you see them here. Sandley says, well, they come. They're very scared. They're transition, transitioning in. Pete and Crystal, newly married, uh, haven't been married long, but they now have twins. Hallelujah. <laughs> give, give them a hand. They have just adopted two of the twins. 
And uh, so that takes us from 25 to 23. Yeah, let's give the Lord a hand for all that he's done over there in the Sudan. I want us to pray. I've read this letter before from my child, Bill Abbey. And I've shared this before with you, but I just feel it's worth sharing again that I know how much these children mean to me. I know how much they mean to you that are praying for them and sponsoring them. But I don't know that I ever really felt how much we mean to them. I should have, but I don't know that I did. And, and again, I know I've read this before, but dear Bill, hello, Bill. This is your son writing you from the Sudan. I'm doing well. I really enjoyed seeing you when you were here and you came to the dreamland. Yes, I'm getting much taller now. That was in response to my letter. I am, in fact, blessed to have God in my life. I'm here replying to you. I pray that God may keep blessing you and your family. Your son, Bill, that just penetrates my heart. It's hard to think about all of the challenges you have in your life when you're focused upon somebody else's life. I think God has a vision for each and every one of you. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? Maybe you came here today and you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here today and you know your life isn't right. You've walked away from Him. He loves you. He cares for you, but he's reaching out to you. He wants you to come home so he can take care of you. And all over this church, if you're here and say, Pastor, pray for me. I, I know my life is not right with the Lord. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand, and we're going to pray for you. All over this church, if that's you. You'd say, pray for me. My, my life isn't right. Now, by not seeing any hands, that would indicate to me that every single person here is a born-again believer and that the Spirit of God resides within you. That would mean that God is speaking to you and God is giving you vision and God is showing you what he wants you to do with your life and if you will take that and if you will solidify that if you'll put it down on the paper and if you will begin to focus upon it God will open door after door after door and you will see his hand going before you and preparing the way and the greatest life that you will ever live will not be one of abundance and finances houses cars clothes it will be knowing that you know that you know that you are in the absolute center of the will of God doing what he has called you to do and while we're still in prayer Pam has prayed for the needs of all of you just a moment ago but I want to pray, and I want you to think about this for just a moment as I pray for you. I want to pray for those who would say, I want 
nothing but God's will to be done in my life. And that I want to stop thinking about myself and all of my needs. And I want to begin to focus like never before on the will of God for my life. It will take discipline. It will take sacrifice. It will take focus. You may disappoint some people along the way, but you will be satisfied and fulfilled and content if you do this. And if that's you, and you would say, I want to give my entire life to serving the Lord and doing what He has shown me to do, I want you to lift your hand, and we're going to pray for you. The hand is merely symbolic of an uplifted heart saying, not my will, but your will be done. Father, I thank you for all of those hands that you see. I pray that your precious Holy Spirit living within each person, that you will continue to speak to them, pouring out vision, showing them the plan and the purpose for their life. And that as they set their personal desires on the shelf, as they set their needs on the shelf and just give it all to you and say, God, I know that you will take care of all of my needs. I know you'll take care of my family. I focus upon what you have shown me. Lord, that you will go ahead and prepare the way and that we will do great and mighty exploits in your name. And we thank you for that. We praise you for that. And we declare together in unity today, not my will, but your will be done, just as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will be done in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, let's all say this together, not my will, your will be done. We hope you've been encouraged, strengthened, and challenged in your walk with Jesus. If you need prayer for situations in your life, we encourage you to email us at prayer at victorylafayette.org or call our offices at 765-447-7777. If you desire to make Jesus the Lord of your life, or if you have drifted away from the relationship you once had, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me today. Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. Today, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I receive the forgiveness for all my sins. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you come into my life and empower me to live a victorious life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.